Essentials. All right. Well, welcome back to Law Student Essentials. Yes. Uh, I'm Benny. Will. Philippa. And today we have a special episode because now we get to catch up from last year. Uh, now we are two L's, as we said in the last episode. And we felt we should talk about some topics that I think every 2L and even any pre-law school student would be interested in. Um, so if uh, anyone wants to sort of catch up and just talk about how it's been so far. I heard Philippa did judicial internship. <laughs> so how is... True story. Yeah, yeah, that was a really interesting experience. I enjoyed it very much. Um, I was with a bankruptcy judge at EDNY. Um, and it sort of, yeah, it shook out, I think, and I think we talked about this last time. It's been so long that I can't quite remember, but Mm -hmm. I feel there's this illusion of choice and strategy Uh for law students. And I really think it's completely, you know, an illusion. Um, I think you just kind of have to go forth with an open attitude and be willing to play a bit of a numbers game. I remember I was keen on an internship with a judge. And so I sent, must have sent 150 applications, um, you know, in one fell swoop and just got them all out the door and Mm -hmm. spent a Saturday doing my mail merge and this, that, and the other. And, um, you know, I was, I was stressing a little bit over, well, what if I like this judge more, but I don't hear from them until after that judge and trying to, sort of control the process and it's just it's impossible um and i think can lead to um expectations that maybe you know aren't able to be met or you know disappointments so um it just shook out perfectly i really enjoyed this judge's bio when i had heard that i got an interview um and it was one of my first it was an early interview um and she just as a person really was someone that I wanted to be around and learn from. Um, and so I'm so glad. So what was your main task as a legal intern? Um, my main task was preparing our judge for hearings. She mm-hmm. kept a very full docket and would run hearings pretty much round the clock. Um, and what we would do as interns, there were several of us there from a variety of schools, um, as well as some visiting scholars from a Chinese law school. So that was mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually, what drew me to um, the judge in general and, you know, from her bio was her international kind of take on things and um, her involvement in a lot of uh, foreign relations affairs and so forth. Um, so she's been heavily involved in, I don't want to say exporting the bankruptcy model, but but educating other jurists in a variety of countries and jurisdictions on um, how we do handle it here because it is unique in um, the legal world. So, so she had a visiting class of Chinese law students, and that was so interesting, the conversations we would have. Moving on! All right, so, and since you, were, you got to work with other law students... Did you actually make a recommendation together or was it always just individuals and then the judge would pick from from that group? How would it work usually? So, yep, it was all individuals. We would each work on our own case files and throughout the course of the summer we would, so the case files would come to us and be assigned pursuant to the date of the hearing Um, and you always wanted to do the bench memo as close up to the date of the hearing as possible so that you had completely up-to-date information. Um, we would work on separate files. So each memo was ours and ours alone, but then throughout the summer we would 
notice cycles of the same cases or related cases coming through. And mm. so that file would then end up trickling down to the person that had handled it previously. Um, and that way you got a kind of handle on, okay, this is the big picture on this matter. Um, and the bankruptcy stuff could spin out really quickly. And that's what I found especially interesting about it. It was a lot of CIP pro and it was really complex litigation. So you could have related cases that, you know, by virtue of one party having different businesses, for example, mm -hmm. you know, would have to be considered together, but technically they're separate. So I just found the complexity of it very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what also led us to, you know, devise this system of who gets what, because it was something that, you know, if you'd worked on something, you wanted to see where, where it was going and what was going to happen with it. Mm -hmm. And so I have one question, which I'm curious about. So I've been in regular civil court, state court, and federal court. And one thing I've noticed is that they tend to be very different. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, state courts tend to be very crowded. Uh, you're sort of, everyone's running around. But federal court is very sophisticated almost. You know, you got marble columns, you got marble rooms, and it's usually very quiet. So have you seen that difference? And how, how is it usually the day-to-day? -day? What, what have you seen in federal court? So my experience, I can kind of only speak to one half of that because I really only know and have had occasion to experience federal court. Okay. Um, in my job at the Mass Tort Firm, we would deal exclusively with fed court. Mm -hmm. um, not that there weren't some issues that came in through state court and so forth, but I personally didn't work on them. Um, and I haven't yet in law school had occasion um, I guess we did do that field trip through legal writing to the state right. court there. Yeah, we went to the appellate and I division. That was fantastic. Appellate division, mm -hmm. obviously going to be a different story right, than right. the zoo. I don't want to be derogatory, <laughs> but I've heard it called that um, of state courts in general. The, the bankruptcy court is gorgeous. If you guys haven't checked it out, definitely recommend it. It's actually the converted post office. So mm -hmm. it's right in that row of um, fed courts there at Canon Plaza. And it's, it's physically stunning. So we spent a lot of time in the judge's courtroom. Um, and it was beautiful, A, but also, like you said, state-of-the-art, very, you know, impressive. Um, she just runs an incredibly tight ship. And it's, you know, respect, decorum, and professionalism throughout. So, yeah, that was appreciated. But I don't have anything <laughs> necessarily to compare it to. You got first, an amazing yeah. experience there. Yeah, yeah, I really did. Congrats. So, Benny, you're doing mediation and negotiation right now. How's it going? Right. So, in Brooklyn Court, Kings County, my job is to sort of resolve disputes and open through negotiation and open discussion. And so, people come. It's usually very hectic because I do the evening shift. And so everyone's already, you know, a little grumpy because they don't want to be there. And it is... What are those hours? Sorry. What constitutes the evening shift? So I do the until 9 p.m. And usually the, the judges leave around that time. Okay. So that's when everyone's sort of done. But basically when I get there, uh, I meet with my mentor and we go and we make... So there are actually Cardoso students. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I mentioned this last time. But they also mediate in the room next to us. Oh, cool. But before we start, we all, as a group, go to each room where the, the parties are, all the parties are before the roll call. 
And we actually pitch mediation services for whoever is interested. We explain the process. You know, we tell them that it's free. It's completely confidential. And it usually works. And, you know, some, sometimes people are hesitant because they don't really want to talk about it or they're dead set on their position on their particular case. And, you know, there are other things that play into it. But from my experience so far, it, it does work. Um, it's It's very different from litigation because usually at least the cases I've done, the attorneys aren't there. It's just the parties. And that really allows you more room to speak with them and to sort of tease out what they're really looking for. Because Mm -hmm. my goal is to have offers on the table so that they can resolve the dispute and not just, Mm -hmm. you know, have one party speaking the whole time and the other party is just, you know, maybe not even listening anymore because they don't want to be there. So it's, it's my position to be as neutral as possible um, to make them as comfortable as possible, you know, try not to be biased. And, you know, and, and it does work because once people, you know, talk about their position and they sort of let out their emotions, which I think is the most important part, mm-hmm. is letting out the emotions, then they start actually cooperating a little bit, you know, exchanging offers, what works, what doesn't work. And, yeah, it it, it's, it usually helps. Wow. Does it tend to be family cases? Do you see one particular type of... So, so far it's been all kinds, but we're usually not allowed to do like divorces and things like that. So it's just, you know, like monetary. Well, because then they require different skill sets. So we're certified through our school's clinic to do cases in that court. But, right, I guess in divorce you'd need a decree and you actually have to split the right, you, you would so have Right, more. you would have certifications as well if you're gotcha. a mediator because there are different types of mediations. So there are those that work with just companies in-house mm-hmm. to do employee-employer disputes. Um, there are the divorce ones, there are the general ones. So we're more of the, the, the general ones, you know, for monetary judgments or usually just money or if they're looking for some kind of performance, things like that. And it's always them um, putting forth their, crafting their own solution. You're never to be the one to say, okay, this is the dollar amount. Right. So I can't, I can't just be the, the judge. That's one thing I stress when doing my opening statements. You know, I, I let them talk it out when it comes to doing the actual offers. But sometimes when I see that they're stuck and that they're having trouble with it, I do propose offers myself, you know, but I also try and make it neutral so that you know I'm not, it doesn't look like right right in. gotcha um, or maybe you, to come up with other alternatives gotcha do you confer with them first separately to understand their positions or interests in general or do you sit down all at once so all usually day? we begin by everyone sitting down at the same table um so it's usually me sitting at the front of the table you know at the one end and have both of them both parties sitting on, on the other two ends um, it's not really, a, a, you know, an environment where they're, you know, shy or maybe feel like they're in a bad position. It's, it, I try to be open. Um, so yeah, we usually start with everyone sitting at the same table. I give my opening statement where I explain the process and how it will play out if they have any questions. And then I usually begin with the plaintiff first to explain their position and then the defendant. Or sometimes I'll let them decide depending on what kind of case it is, you know. And so once they give me, they each give their position, I paraphrase, I try to acknowledge what issues there are in this case. And then we try and and go into the issues. If there are more than one issues, then we start with one 
and we see if we can come to a solution regarding that one issue and then we see you know how it goes plays from there but sometimes it's not you can't really plan it out because different things happen things are unexpected so for example just yesterday i did one where i did my opening statement and the parties were telling me can you step out me as a mediator (laughs) so that they could talk about it which never happened to me before it was a little weird before they'd even gotten into any substantive right where i'm at right because usually the parties have spoken already before they come into court usually they've been there more than once Mm. because either one party doesn't show up or i guess they their previous agreement they don't work out so, Do you find that the parties tend to know each other? This isn't like stranger on stranger torts, or right? Usually, yeah, it's it's not torts as much. It's more uh, customer, you know, um, store stuff. owner things like that, gotcha. like business sort of. And so, like I was saying, the parties wanted to speak themselves, and when I came back in, one of them they obviously couldn't come to an agreement, and they were already saying, "Let's go to trial." You know, I don't want to lose anyone. <laughs> so we were like, "Okay, well." Let's see what was going on, you know, because I hadn't even heard them explain the situation yet. And sure enough, when we started talking, then they actually did come to an agreement in the end, which was, you know, it feels good when you're the mediator. But I'm sure that for them, it's not really a good experience because they have to come in. I've had parties who come in with children because they, you know, they, they don't have anyone to leave them with. And it can get pretty frustrating, but, you know, it, it's... It's really a useful alternative to litigation. Um, it's great. much less expensive. In fact, it's free. Where litigation, you know, it's court fees and attorney fees can really pile up. So, so that's why I asked. I know, and I forget the details on it, but I, I want to say it was within the EDNY that they have a program whereby mediation is automatically mandated by a lottery system for X number of cases out of whatever docket they have. Um, so that's why I asked if, if sometimes people just, if, if, you know, tag you're it and they just had to go to mediation. Um, so usually there are some instances where the judges actually mandate mediation, mm-hmm. but usually it's voluntary. Gotcha. Um, if, and both parties have to volunteer, it can't just be one party. Okay. I've had situations where one party wants to do it, but the other one doesn't. And in that situation, you know, I can't, I can't force them to. To do the mediation, they would just have to go to court or arbitration, whichever one they're in. Um, but yeah, usually it would come to us through the clerks. Um, the clerks actually ask them when their names are called, when they do the roll call. They ask them if they actually want to go to trial or if maybe they decide to do mediation instead. And if it's arbitration, they ask them if they really want to go to arbitration or they want to go to mediation instead. And sometimes they agree. Um, after hearing our pitch, you know, they, they want to know more about it. And we're usually in the hallways of the courts answering questions if they have questions. Um, but usually, you know, we, we try and stress the point that maybe they might not even be able to go in front of a judge that night because there's so many cases, you know, the schedule is just so packed. And even if they do, the judges are probably going to be as, I don't want to say, you know, not as neutral as possible, but maybe they won't have as much patience because they probably hear these kinds of cases all day, every day. And they won't, they won't really, maybe it'll depend on the judge, but they might not be more willing to hear the emotional side of the case. They just want to know the facts and, you know, just who's liable. And that's the solution. Uh, my job is more to 
bring out the emotional side so that the conflict reaches a more definitive end because sometimes they will reach an agreement and they haven't really, if the mediation didn't go, usually the goal of mediation is to, yes, get an agreement, but sometimes it's good to end without an agreement. As long as, if, if we get a situation where the parties actually talk to each other and it gets more clear what the issues are and they get a chance to explain their side of the story and to That's vent progress. if they need to vent, sure. then even if it doesn't end in an agreement, at least they know where they stand, you know. Well, and that's such a huge part of the judicial process. And right. Just legally, I feel people don't have the sort of, obviously, the understanding that a law student would about the legal system, but mm. but bottom line, they want to be heard. They, that that yeah. day in court moment that just statistically doesn't mm. come for many people and so maybe they don't realize that going in they you know think of it as maybe hollywood version of something <laughs> they've seen right, yeah. right do you do you find that people are surprised that mediation exists do they do they seem completely unaware of it until you give your pitch or? yeah usually most of them don't know about it um they do know about arbitration but i think that's because um it's usually so if of course if there were adhesion contracts and the arbitration clauses customer doesn't even find that until they're being sued or whatever the case may be um so i don't even think most of them know about arbitration until, until they go through it themselves but usually yeah they don't know about mediation um even if they do know about it they're usually skeptical they think it won't work or it's too therapeutic like like, like they're meeting a psychiatrist or something um, most of them just want to don't want to show emotion you know they want to be low and just they have their decision in their minds and they just want to go through with it. They want to go to trial, let's say, and they're like, well, we'll see what the judge says. Mm -hmm. But usually the judge isn't going to say what they want to hear. That's inter that's so. an interesting angle too. Not just the emotional benefit to being able to tell your story, but maybe in the telling thereof, they come to see weaknesses that they didn't prior and yeah. understand you know, that just because their righteousness <laughs> may be you know, maybe present, it doesn't mm. necessarily mean whatever. So how do you, yeah. how do you feel about contributing to the society as a law student? Well, it's always nice. I mean, yeah. usually, so a lot of people go to law school because they want to change the world or <laughs> whatever their goal may be. And usually, you know, you find out it isn't that easy, you know, either find, you could work in legal aid, which always helps. Um, but usually it's not the kind of work you want to do, or maybe it just gets too depressing after a while, you know, just seeing problems all day and all the time. Um, but I think mediation is a little different because you're not trying, you're not promising anything. So, and you tell the parties, this is what we're going to try to do. It's, you know, you don't have any pressures about meeting trial deadlines or, you know, if it's immigration, which is really important deadlines, because, you know, if, if you have people who, might be deported or something you know it's more important for them and that could get really stressful but for situations that are more civil in the sense that it's like torts or contracts generally it's easier to go through mediation and it's it's obviously always easier if the attorneys aren't there too because then they sort of keep interrupting the other parties and you can't really get anywhere um so yeah it's, it's usually better to just deal with the parties themselves directly. And yeah, I mean, it feels good being able to help. And when we actually do come to an agreement, you know, you see the relief in their faces. Mm -hmm. You know, when we write down the agreement, they, you know, I repeat it back to them to make sure it's what they understood, what they're looking for. 
and they're usually very thankful and appreciative at the end. So that's awesome. that that works as reinforcement for us too. Of course, because it just you know it's usually it can get pretty bad if you're you know hearing just disagreements all the time and there's a lot of emotions coming out. And but and, and you have to stay strong because you got to try and be neutral and and help guide them through the process. So how long do they usually take? So usually at the court where I'm at, it's usually an hour. Okay. If they need more time, we reschedule. Okay. But usually, actually, we resolve them within the hour unless there's a lot of issues. Okay. And then even if we reach an agreement on one issue and they go to trial for the other issues, um, they could do that. Okay. You know, it, it depends on the type of case. Do you, are you taking notes? Were, would you be the person to see them again if they were to wish to continue their mediation mm-hmm. at a later date? So, yeah, we do take notes. Um, we provide paper and pen for them as well if they want to take notes. Mm-hmm. And we stress that because we try and keep confidentiality, those notes are actually destroyed at the end of each session. Gotcha. Um, so that no information leaks out. And us as mediators, we can't testify in court about what we hear. Mm-hmm. So that adds another layer to the confidentiality. And usually for the rescheduling, we would work it out with the parties. If they want to meet the next time I have the shift, then we can do that. Or, you know, they can just meet with whatever is available on the days that they need. Um, so, you know, it, there's a lot of room to work it out. I guess it's interesting that you, there may be something to be gained, obviously, you know, the confidentiality aside, if you have to destroy the records every time, there may be something to be gained by sitting them down and having them tell you from scratch, you know, where are you at now? Refresh me, you know, not even refresh me. Let's start, let's start from today and, and try the results. Yeah, because that's one reason why they're hesitant. You know, they don't want to reveal anything right. that might hurt their case, especially if there's an attorney there. He's like, I'll let them talk, he or she. And it's going to be harder. But usually once you tell them it's confidential and that we can't tell anyone, um, there is an exception if we hear anything about child abuse or substantial threat of injury, like the Tarasov case, if you guys remember from yes, Twice. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I um, do. Then, yeah, we would break confidentiality, but those are rare. You know, we rarely hear those, and those are the only exceptions. So, Do you lay those out at the outset? Yeah, we would. So that would be part of the opening statement when I describe the process, the confidentiality. Yeah. So this is part of your uh, school course, the clinic course, right? Right. It's a clinic offered by... A law school. Okay. There are programs, I think, where you can just apply outside of the law school as like an externship or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in my particular case, it's part of the clinic. Do you do you get any pro bono hours through this course? So yeah, they qualify as pro bono hours, but they give you academic credit. Uh-huh. So that's always good. Good. And is there a seminar component to yes. it? Do you guys need it? So right. So every yes. clinic has the seminar. Our seminar is more of like um, we have the professor. So the way it worked for us was that we had during the winter, we had to take a workshop, mm-hmm. which was where they did all the training and everything. They explained to us how it would work, what to expect. When did you know that you were placed in it? When were, so when you I applied fall semester, okay. during the fall semester. Um, you would just send out like a regular clinic application and then the professor would let you know if you get picked. And the application was what the typical application was for clinics, you know, your resume, transcript, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And once you know, then, you know, they tell you, depending on the clinic, so for us, we had to do the workshop before the clinic started. So we had to do it during the winter because that was the only time it was offered. Um, but yeah, the seminar involves actually you have to write a paper. Um, we talk about the cases. You know, we could, that would be 
outside the confidentiality a little bit. We can't give de- details, but just to talk about our experiences with the mentor, um, just general things. And yeah, we usually have those once every two weeks, mm. the seminar, and the clinic is every week. Awesome. Moving on. How do you have fun at law school? How do you have fun? So there, with other students, I think that's the most immediate uh, venue you could you could use. So there are a lot of clubs at the at law schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, even outside the school, you can go to bar events. Um, there's many different things you can do. Yeah. You can go. To, I mean, there's usually parks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So just like me and you went to the mm-hmm. frisbees oh, yeah. and that's so, that's we, fun. you know, it's it's usually easy to just. Get people to come with you. There's a lot. I know one of our classmates plays basketball with the school team. Mm-hmm. Um, the the student organizations have different teams as well, which can spin off into so many great yeah. things. I don't know if you're talking about Jordan, but he yeah, also Jordan. plays That's, with Cleary. Yeah. So you know, it's an opportunity to mix and mingle with attorneys. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Cool. Sure. I I would say like social advice wise, I, I just I'm so glad that. I had the experience that I didn't my first year because I feel like if it had been on me to make friends too all year, I wouldn't have any. Um, I think I think that bonding experience that you have in your sections and in your shared classes is everything. And I think mm-hmm. you just you know want to make sure that you try as best you can to keep it up because mm-hmm. these are you know the people that you will be encountering mm-hmm. over the course of your career, and it's you know your network. Groweth, so it's so important. Yeah, and I actually think, I mean, you know what they always say with regards to meeting someone is try to do something that you are interested in, right? And you will meet other people who are also interested in it. I mean, law school is the perfect microcosm of that. You Mm -hmm. know, find those teams and those clubs that oh, that sounds right up my alley. You know, and Mm -hmm. then your dream girl, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Mm. All right, so I wanted to ask you, Philippa, about, um, so I, I know you did moot court appellate division in law school. You're still in it. Um, I wanted to ask what it's like. Have you competed at I have all? not yet. Um, okay. This spring semester is moot court, all things, everything, all moot court, everything. Um, so I'm really actually loving it right now, and I think this is part of the flip that I talked about. I'm, like, getting my second win this spring semester. Um <laughs> The problem came out for my particular team in late, I want to say November, and we just last week got the brief in, so that that window was not the funnest, um, and I'm just discovering a number of things about myself personally that I kind of have a column of like about law school, don't like about law school, and writing briefs, not one of the, <laughs> it's not in the like column, um, so that was not funnest but I am actually loving our practices and I'm really really excited I think it's the most interesting thing by far I'm going to do in law school and I'm just I'm so grateful I'm like getting goosebumps because I really think it's an incredible opportunity and I'm really excited um, to be part of it I hope we advance if we do uh, we'll be arguing at the Hague mm, and wow. uh, it would just be wild yeah. good luck <laughs> and so for appellate work what do you find that it's how is it different from let's say trial? What's so what's usually the focus on? So again, I think my experience may be a little out of the box because of the 
competition that I'm on, we're doing ICC, so it's very different than a lot of other competitions. Um, for one, the venue is just completely, you know, completely different from our, our system here and so forth. So little things can, you know, be stylistic. For example, we are to call the judges your excellencies and sort of your honors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but more so just the feel and the tone is less adversarial than an American judicial proceeding. It's very much a dialogue. It's very much um, almost an academic conversation. And you're really, you're sort of, it's much less adversarial and confrontational, um, which to me is right up my alley because I think, and I love this about mediation, the law should be something that helps resolve conflict, not Mm -hmm. exacerbate it. Mm -hmm. And a lawyer's job should be to, you know, fix whatever's wrong and not overly complicated or unnecessarily antagonize anyone. I mean, the world's an ugly enough place, you know? (laughs) So I am enjoying that tone and quality to the competition. Um, And I just find the uh, problem so fascinating. It's, um, you know, it's an international problem and it forced us to get into international research, which is like a whole other beast. Um, And I'm really... You know, check back in with me in a couple of weeks, but I'm I'm really loving it. I'm super stoked for the practices, and I don't even mind that they're late at night and every single day. And no, I'm I'm all about it. Moving on. Tell us about how you got the job for the summer. Um, Tell us that process. Was that oh, around the time you were sending it? So out? yeah, I got a I got my summer associate position through a patent law interview program. Okay. It's held in Chicago every year by Loyola University right. Law School. So like a lot of law firms come to the hotel and we go through interviews, like eight or nine interviews in two days. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like a pilk fair for oh, yes. IP. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So I had an interview there with eight law firms. Wow. Thank you. And um, that was a great practice for me, too. So I got the callback interviews, and I went to this law firm's office and then did the callback interview. And, yeah, I got a, I will be working in D.C., very excited, for 10 weeks. So, um, yeah. What about you? That's how, amazing. How was your interview with the judge? Well, <laughs> or, um, something you said just reminded me, because I had mentioned earlier the nightmare that was OCI um, it really actually reminded me of dating <laughs> my joke was that it was speed dating without the cocktails which is like a necessary component of all dating um, <laughs> but yeah that was that was a hellish process and I did not feel that I just it was unexpectedly hellish I did not go in knowing that that was sort of the landscape that awaited um, so it was exhausting. Yeah, it was really, mm-hmm. but but sort of thrilling and, and adrenaline producing in the same way because you know at that point you're through your first year, mm-hmm. you've had your experience over the summer, and it sort of is that opportunity to process what am I doing here, where am I trying to go, mm-hmm. as well as while also at the same time divesting yourself of the illusion of control mm-hmm. and getting to chat with interesting people. So that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, it was a whirlwind. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. Yeah. Cool one. I almost find that the less I prep for interviews, the better it goes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have found. I mean, there's like too little prep, obviously, but I think that you want to be natural. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's why I equated it to dating in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get caught up in the OCI process and the like, oh, firm, you know, name, this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, if a firm isn't feeling you, Mm-hmm. why would you be feeling that like you know it's like dating like if they're not into you move it along like and I I thought it was really interesting to me actually to see because my resume and maybe you'll find this as well because my resume reads differently like I'm older I have a master's I've sort of done a number of different things it was interesting to see the firms that saw that resume and go oh my gosh you know this girl the experience she's had or you know the international stuff cool this that what a life let's have her in you you right. you end up with the right person yes <laughs> yes i wanted to be myself i try to be myself during these interviews have to yeah who else can you be yeah, you know? so yeah i think it worked out cuz imagine you get a job that came to you based on any sort of, I don't deceit that has like negative connotations, but if you're taking a job that you got not by being yourself, right. what happens when you're there and, you know, be yourself? Yeah, I think people try and get those jobs with firms that they just want to work there, you know, but they right. don't actually want to be there. Right. Right. So I think it's weird, actually, when you're looking for jobs and picking something that you know you will like, it's kind of different than just... Applying there just because everyone's applying there and you want to be there, you know. Absolutely. And it was interesting to me how quickly those differences came to the fore. At first, you know, you're sending the same hundred resumes, whatever it is, to the same hundred firms, and they all look the same. They're going to say all the same stuff on their websites. They're going to handle all the same kind of matters. There's the same, you know, opportunity for interesting work and prestige and so forth across all of them. But very quickly, you could see, okay, this is the feel I'm getting from this firm. This is the vibe over here. All right, this is more like me. That's not, you know, and so forth. And so I thought that was, it was a really interesting process. Exhausting, but interesting. All right. Well, I think that was a very good discussion. Uh, We want to thank you for your time and for listening. Thank you. And we'll see you on the next one. All right. Thank you. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Stay tuned. (laughs) Essentials.